Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome to the Breakfast Show, Heather Voice Islam. The date is the 22nd of August, a beautiful Monday morning, and um, as usual, um, we'll be having some very interesting topics to talk about and discuss. Um, the first being the impact of drought on Britain's wildlife, and that will start around sort of 7 13, take us all the way up to 8 15. And the second segment, will be about how do we keep children safe online. Far-right extremists are targeting children. So, very interesting uh, segments, and as usual, we'll have various uh, experts and guest callers helping us navigate through these segments. Um, But before we delve into these topics, as is the tradition here at The Voice of Islam, we'd always like to see what's been happening in the morning papers. and just before we actually start into going into the news, um, as our avid listeners would be aware, the number to call is 0286877878. Or uh, our listeners can leave a tweet by tweeting us at Voice Islam UK if they do indeed want to get in touch or leave any comments or opinions. Um, so, what's been happening in the news? Well, the. Uh, Pakistan pol- uh, police have charged the ex-Prime Minister under the Terrorism Act. Um, Pakistan's uh, uh, police have charged the country's former Prime Minister Imran Khan under the anti-terror laws. And the investigation comes after he accused the police and judiciary of detaining and torturing his close aide. Tensions are high in the country, with the former leader's supporters gathering outside his house, vowing to take over if he is arrested. And since being ousted from power in April, Mr Khan has been a vocal critic of the government and the country's army. Police announced the charges after the cricketer-turned-politician accused authorities of torturing his close aide, who is himself being detained under sedition charges. In a public speech on Saturday, Mr Khan condemned Islamabad's police chief and a female judge for the detention and alleged mistreatment of his party colleague, Shabazz Gil. And Mr Khan said you should also get ready as uh, um, we will take action against you. And officials accused Mr. Khan of breaching the country's anti-terrorism act for allegedly making threats against state officials. Hundreds of the former Prime Minister's supporters gathered outside his home in Islamabad after news of the investigation broke, vowing to take over the capital if police tried to detain him. Police who were present at the scene said they were not there to arrest the former leader but to maintain law and order. The case comes at a time of heightened tension between Pakistan's government and Mr Khan, who was ousted from power in April in a no-confidence vote. Since then, the former leader has toured the country to deliver a series of fiery speeches calling for fresh elections and fiercely criticising both the government and the army. On Saturday, Pakistan's media regulator announced that television channels would be banned from broadcasting its speeches live accusing Mr Khan of hate speech against state institutions. The former leader claims the government is trying to censor him. And on Sunday, he criticised the ban at another political rally in the city of Rawalbindi. What crimes has Imran Khan committed? I will never accept this gang of thieves, he told his supporters. Mr Khan later accused the government of blocking access to YouTube halfway through the speech in an effort to prevent people from listening to him live. And despite being ousted from power in a no-confidence vote earlier this year, 
Imran Khan continues to count on the support of many Pakistani voters. And last month, his PTA party stunned rivals by taking control of a crucial provisional assembly in Punjab, defeating the PMLN party in what was expected to be an easy win for them. So, unfortunately, another country in the East which uh, has been facing a great amount of political instability um, and uh, you know, this trend is um, very much a rampant across the sort of that part of the world which is uh, you know a great great shame indeed in other news uh, the plans to cut energy bills um, if peak time uses avoided so the BBC reports that the scheme would allow people to save cash if they avoid high power activities such as cooking or using washing machines when demand is high. It is understood that the service is likely to apply to homes which have smart meters installed. And there are hopes it can be put into place this winter, with energy bills rising. We are developing a new service that will be available for consumers to benefit from across this winter, and we'll be announcing further information soon, spokesman for National Grid, which run the scheme said. It is understood the company's proposals of how it will work, such as how money will be paid back to customers, are expected to be revealed in the next fortnight, with consultations taking place with energy providers and the UK's energy regulator, Ofgem. And it's been also reported that rebates for minimising the use of goods, such as tumble dryers, dishwashers and games consoles during the peak hours of 5 and 8 o'clock in the evening, could be as high as £6 per kilowatt saved. National Grid ESO previously told the BBC that the service is not about any energy rationing, despite fears over supplies, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine affecting oil and gas supplies to Europe. The typical household energy bill is forecast to reach £3,582 a year in October. That is when the price cap, the maximum amount suppliers can charge customers in England, Scotland and Wales for each unit of energy goes up again. And it has been forecast to rise further to £4,266 in January. The move follows a trial where Octopus Energy offered incentives for 100,000 customers who reduced consumption. Octopus Energy has said during the trial its consumers received credit on their energy accounts and it could also have self-refund option where they could get cash transferred to their bank account. So it's, you know, a very unfortunate case um, whereby, yes, on, you know, on the one hand, the energy prices have gone up a great amount, but, um, you know, these new plans or somewhat, you know, um, schemes, should we say, are there to try to counterbalance, sort of offset, you know, what's um, been happening and, uh, you know, from 3500 to 4500 um, on a year's energy bill is um, you know, quite uh, impactful on um, some of our households. In other news, uh, the Titan Fury makes an emotional knife plea over his cousin's death. Boxer Titan Fury has called on the government to introduce stronger punishments for knife crime after his cousin was killed in a stabbing. The heavyweight champion said on social media, R.I.P. Rico Burton, who was stabbed in the neck overnight. Fury compared knife crime to a pandemic, adding, you don't know how bad it is until it's one of your own. Mr. Burton, 31, was attacked in Goose Green, uh, Greater Manchester, police confirmed. 
The two men have been arrested in connection with the incident in which a 17-year-old also suffered serious injuries. Superintendent Ben Edwards said one of the men, aged 21, was arrested at the scene and the other, aged 20, was arrested later. Both remain in police custody. In passion plea on social media earlier, Mr Fury wrote, This is becoming ridiculous. Idiots carrying knives. This needs to stop. The boxer demanded the government bring back higher sentencing for knife crime, and he ended the post in tribute to his cousin. Life is very precious, and it can be taken away very quick. Enjoy every moment. So it's um, you know very sad also to see, and it's the reality. Um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, um, if that this elderly gentleman on his uh, mobility scooter. Uh, was stabbed to death in uh, Ealing, um, and it's a very uh, um, um, prominent issue which we are facing, or you know, up and down the country, um, and it's you know taking um, it's toll on you know the families that are uh, suffering because of this, and um, it, you know something needs to be done um, because you know on the one hand we you know pointing fingers at other nations. For example, uh, in, in America, there's a huge debate and issue of gun crime. Um, but closer to home, you know, our, our own people here are victims of knife crime, which, you know, certainly needs to be uh, looked into and, um, you know, policies changed and um, altered. But very good morning to brother Imran. How are you, uh, Khalid? Not Imran, sorry. It's too, it's too, it's too early. Brother Khalid, how are you this this beautiful morning. By the grace of Allah, I was slightly croaky for it, so I do apologize. Oh, no worries. To yourself and the listeners there, but um, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm not doing too bad, thank you. Just Very good. A bit of a cold this weekend, but I'm yeah. recovering from it. Um, it. No, you know what you were saying about the knife uh, crime in the UK? It's, it's, it's really unfortunate, and it's really um, such a violent, disgusting act, what happened to this elderly gentleman. And you know, yeah. it... It's so close to home because that's an area that I used to live in mm. in that part of uh, West yeah. London called Greenford. Yeah. And um, it begs the question, if if the availability of guns was as easy as it is in America, imagine the number of deaths that we would have yeah. if if these knives were replaced by guns. Yeah. So it's quite a scary... You know, yeah, it's um, a stark reality. It know. is. Um, yeah, the, issues, the, the, the issue at hand is a huge one. Mm. Um, I think I can't remember exactly the number of people that have, you know, passed away or been murdered rather mm. this year. But um, you know, it's a it's a great number. I was reading just the other day because of this incident that happened in uh, West London. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we we certainly pray for those families that have lost their dear ones and loved ones, and um, and may Allah grant them solace and peace. Exactly. And we'll go for a short break now, and after the break, we'll continue with uh, some of the. Uh, news and afterwards um, we'll crack on with our first segment but don't go anywhere you're listening to the voice of Islam radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. It was made clear to me through divine revelation that the Messiah, whose advent among the Muslims had been promised from the beginning, and the Mahdi, 
whose advent had been divinely decreed at the time of the decline of Islam and the spread of error, and who was to be guided directly by God, and who was to invite people to partake of the heavenly banquet, and whose coming had been foretold by the Holy Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, 1300 years in advance, was myself. Drank out of Ever since man walked on the face of the earth, there have been over 15,000 major wars that have killed close to 4 billion people. Though impossible to calculate accurately, it is estimated that since the beginning of our recorded history, the world has known only about 300 years of peace. Each leader in the world desires to find a lasting solution to the issue that has plagued our beautiful planet centuries over centuries. There have been many movements, conferences, organizations and NGOs all over the world that promote the idea of world peace, but peace on earth has continued to be just an aspiration. Khilafat Ahmadiyya is the heavenly institution that was prophesied by the peace-loving Prophet Muhammad History has shown that whenever the world suffers disorder and injustice, a spiritually guided man stands up and advises the world on how to achieve peace through the heavenly teachings of Islam. Writings of the Promised Messiah Our paradise lies in our God. Our highest delight is in our God, for we have seen Him and have found every beauty in Him. This wealth is worth procuring, though one might have to lay down one's life to procure it. This ruby is worth purchasing, though one may have to lose oneself to acquire it. O ye who are bereft, run to this fountain and it will satisfy you. It is a fountain of life that will save you. What shall I do? And how shall I impress the hearts with this good news? And by beating what drum shall I make the announcement that this is our God? So that people might hear. What remedy shall I apply to the ears of the people so that they should listen? You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here The Voice of Islam. So, just before the break, we were going over what's been happening, um, been covered in the morning papers. Um, but it's time now that we move towards our first segment of this morning, which is the impact of drought on Britain's wildlife. And so the British Trust of Ontheology, the BTO, has issued warnings about birds such as blackbirds, robins and song thrushes struggling through the drought. And it's said that they need regular rainfall, which creates damp soil, tripping out worms and other insects for them to feed on. The droughts mean that the insects will stain the soil, making it unable for birds to feed themselves or the offspring. And this can lead to drastic conditions in which birds can feed on each other or their own offspring if there is no food. Badgers and hedgehogs are also suffering from the drought and dry weather. 
from lack of food, dehydration and overheating. A hot day can be good for adult butterflies, however, caterpillars need soil to feed and grow. Plants have also been reported to die off early, causing butterflies to fall in population. The heat waves are causing birds such as young house martins, swallows and swifts to become dangerously overheated, resulting in death. Birds are unable to find mud to build their nests, thus forcing them to leave. And for all of these animals, a horrible summer can result in low breeding, which can bring down populations. And if it continues rapidly, warmer temperatures have helped several exotic species of birds to expand their range. The BTO have said the current drought may allow that process to happen quickly, allowing bee-eating birds to become populated, and this means that climate change is causing problems. Furthermore, the drought has also had an impact on vegetables and crops. A representative for the British Retail Constitutionum told BBC News that retailers understand weather conditions have been a challenge and have taken steps to support their farmers. This includes expanding ranges of odd-sized shape fruit and veg when needed, says Hannah Dowtry, food policy advisor at the BRC. The dryness from soil means that veg and fruit in the ground are unable to get moisture to grow, and they will grow slower and will lack in size, making their skin tougher or causing defects. Professor Jerry Knox has said that potatoes are vulnerable to drought as the crop relies on rain. So, Brother Khalid, what is the, I mean, importance of all of this, and um, especially of the bees, you know, the bees have you know, a great amount of, uh, what a great role to play in, really. Exactly. I mean, this has been one of the things, one of the discussion points we've had, um, you know, a while ago when we talked about the importance of bees on one of our previous programs. So Professor Dave Goulson of the University of Sussex said that bumblebees who have furry coats uh, are, f- are furry coats uh, are flying and feeding cold conditions makes it difficult for them to forage in temperatures that are high. Bees are a part of the biodiversity and they are essential for human survival. Bees also provide things, food, such as honey and pollen, as we know. When animals and other insects pick up pollen from flowers, they are able to spread, allowing other plants to grow and reproduce, including food crops, and bees are one of the main pollinators. Bees, bats, butterflies and hummingbirds are at risk of uh, decreasing population. And the bee population in particular has been decreasing rapidly due to the loss of habitat, pesticides, overuse of agricultural chemicals and sudden and rapid weather changes. Now, this is the thing, you know, people say, you know, our oh, climate change is this is something that's happening abroad. Is mm. People have to really, you know, take into account, ask the people that are, you know, suffering from floods in the UK. It's, it's strange, you know, mm. on the one hand, we have like a downpours and heavy downpours. And then at the same time, we have to have hosepipe balance because the thing is I think <coughs> the general wasted water is a bad thing you know and there were so many reports of unfortunately the big water companies who are literally Dumping, seeping yeah. water yeah. you know there's, because of so many old pipes that are breaking and everything has a knock on effect so I think we, everyone needs to be more conscious of the little actions that they do has an effect you know picking up litter throwing plastic bottles in the bin and recycling things in in general. All these things, you know, like you see the the, the for the bees, which are really yeah. part of our you know, important part of our ecosystem, you know? 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, everybody's got to play a role, and That's uh, it. the with the supply now, I think, I think, well, in my lifetime, if anything, this mm. is the first time I've heard you know, there's been a ban um, on um, you know the amount of water that, that we can use, mm. and uh, it, it brings you know the perspective of um, you know being moderate in whatever yeah. we do, yes. and that being sort of the an Islamic aspect or angle really to take upon. Um, you know, excess is certainly looked down upon in anything really. Um, and the level of moderation is crucial in the life of a Muslim. Definitely, 100%. See, one of the things that we can do, you know, people have been encouraged to have uh, full nectar, full flowers in the garden, such as sunflowers or marigolds, in order to help bees pollinate more. So, you know, I mean, even if you haven't got a garden, like, you can just have a little, you know, some out, some plants out on your balcony or something. And um, so raising awareness, you know, like we said, brother, that is highly encouraged, especially in schools and in public um, places about the importance of bees. People have also been encouraged to use less pesticides or use pesticides that will not harm bees or other pollinators. Now, some of the mitigation strategies... To reduce and prevent climate change include alternative energy. Using alternative energy such as solar, wind or tidal energy, tidal energy can reduce the use of fossil fuels and reduce the amount of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere. There's also carbon capture. Now, this is the removal of carbon dioxide from waste gases, from power stations, and then the storage of it in old and um, old oil and gas fields or coal mines underground. So this reduces the amount of emissions into the atmosphere. <coughs> Excuse me. And also, you know, planting trees. This is one of the big things that's you know has been a talking point mm. for the ages now. And uh, by the grace of Allah, the mighty our community worldwide has been active in uh, tree planting. You know, every year you see so many of uh, members of our community going out and planting trees all over the place. Now. Encouraging afforestation means that there will be more trees to absorb the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And also there are some other things like international agreements. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, international agreements are playing a crucial part in making sure that we you know, make sure that the amount of trees that are planted and the overall welfare of um, balancing out you know, the amount of output that's um, you know, being um, distributed by all the um, you know, carbon polluting elements is offset by the amount of, you know, treaties that we have in place to make sure that there's a cap or a limit, um, or if anything, you know, we can sort of offset um, and negate any excess when it comes to yeah, uh, the carbon polluting. And some other adaption strategies that aim to respond to climate change by limiting its negative effects include water supply, so that's water transfer schemes. Um, could be used where water is transferred from an area of water surplus to an area of water shortage. So we also have reducing risk from sea level rise. So areas at risk from sea level rise may use sea defences to protect the land from being eroded away. Agriculture. Farmers will have to adapt as some crops may not be able to grow in a warmer climate. So all of these... um, strategies are there to really mitigate the um, the amount that we uh, you know really uh, abuse um, and the amount that we um, you know should make sure that we can 
really mitigate the the carbon output that all of us um, you know help really push, which is a shame. But the question comes back to the Islamist perspective and what Islam has to say on the issue, because we all know that um, Islam has a say on an array of topics, and you know conserving and looking after the planet and making sure that. Know, we conserve water in this case is a fundamental part. So in Islam, man is given the role of trusteeship over the earth, which is a huge responsibility. And in the past, man had to be careful of how he treated his local environment. Now, excessive grazing or agriculture could ruin you know, his livelihood. His knowledge was also limited by the, in the events of a disaster, either through ignorance or abuse, at least he could resort to moving elsewhere and start again. But nowadays, we should have no excuse for ignorance. And we should have learned from our past to avoid, you know, misuse. So these um, teachings, you know, that Islam brings to the foyer are very much so pertinent as they were you know, hundreds of thousands, well, thousands of years ago, mm. should I say. Um, but we'll come back to those, those points. I'm pleased to say that we have been joined by... Mr. Tom Stewart this morning from the British Trust for Orthonology. A very good morning, and uh, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks very much for having me. So, Tom, for the benefits of our listeners, um, what is yeah. the BTO, and what are your aims and missions? Yes, yeah, so we are the BTO. We are the British Trust for Ornithology, and so ornithology is the scientific study of birds. And we are the BTO, are the UK's largest bird research charity. And we work with scientists and with about 60,000 volunteer bird watchers to um, carry out long-term monitoring of the UK's bird populations. And some, what is the scientific definition of drought? You know, the segment being about you know how track, the droughts have had a huge impact on our wildlife. Um, yeah. So how does one go about to define a drought? So if you look at things like the Met Office and you know other kind of organisations that that study the weather, there is no one definition of a drought. Um, unlike kind of other kinds of extreme weather, it's really kind of it's a gradual build-up over time of a variety of different conditions. Um, and they, you know, the word drought is used to, you know, to reflect a variety of different um, climatic conditions. But in, it's very clear you know, this summer that we are, you know, we are experiencing an incredibly long, prolonged period of very, very dry weather, um, which is what a drought is really. But it's, you know, they, the word drought is applied depending on a variety of different um, criteria. Um, so there is not really one definition, but, you know, it, in general, it's, a, it's exactly what we've got now, which is a very, very long spell with very little rain. And in terms of global warming, um, mm. you know, when did the consequences of global warming start taking effect to the, um, um, you know, the, the, the results that we see nowadays um, of its, you know, devastating nature? Yeah. Well, certainly for the, you know, we've... We've, the benefit of what we have at the British Trust for Ornithology are these very long data sets going, you know, going back decades, well back into the, into the previous century. And what is very clear, I mean, exactly when these changes started to happen is perhaps a bit trickier to say. Um, but what is very clear now is that global warming, climate change in general, is having a massive impact on bird populations, not just here in the UK, but all over the world. Um, and, you know, this is, it's, it, you know, it's affecting a wide variety of different bird species in different ways. And we published a report last year that looked into the the, cha the effects that global warming was having on um, Britain's birds. And it's things, you know, and it, it's really across the board, but I think interesting examples, maybe 
you know, clear examples of things like in the UK, you know, we have got some mountain, hills and mountains. Um, they're not very high compared to those in other countries. But what it means is that the temperatures here are being pushed up. So the birds that live in the older parts of the UK are being, you know, the um, the conditions and, you know, the, 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 the rising temperatures, um, you know, meaning that, you know, they, these birds can no longer survive, you know, in, in the colder regions. Um, and also it's having a massive impact on things like seabirds. So a good example is the possum, um, we know with the, the with the colourful, big colourful beak. Um, these feed on sand eels, which tend to be in the, the surf, the kind of the top part of the sea. But global warming is meaning that global warming is making the sea temperature rise, which is forcing their prey further down to levels that they can't dive to. So in you know in the next in the next 30 years even we are at risk of losing up to 90% of of the UK's puffins. So the you know the 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 effects are really kind of coming far and wide now. So Tom, you briefly mentioned about puffins um, being at risk there. Have yeah. there, are there any other species in Britain that may become extinct due to this um, drought? Well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, thinking particularly about drought and, you know, whether or not a species will become extinct is, you know, that's quite a big question. But we can certainly say that it's having very negative impacts on other species. Mm. Uh, you know, examples that your, your listeners might be familiar with are birds we find in our gardens, like robins and blackbirds, um, which feed on insects that are in the top layer of the soil, earthworms and things like that. In very dry weather... This prey, this kind of food source, becomes unavailable to them because they're not able to get down to the soil. Just like the eels in the sea, moving further down away from the warmer temperatures, the earthworms move further down into the into the soil. So, for birds like blackbirds, robins, song thrushes, which right now will be raising young, they'll be perhaps on their second brood of the of the season. They will be unable to access these very important food sources, but we won't see the full impact of of these on the populations until next spring. So, I mean, as uh, at the British Trust for Ornithology, we're very focused on long-term monitoring and the power of long-term monitoring to reveal these, you know, really massive changes and massive impacts on our populations. But we can only find these things out if we take the time to, you know, to look in, to look at, you know, to look at how things are now as compared to next year and the year after that and the decades to come. Um, but yeah, I mean, the drought is very obviously having, you know, uh, big impacts on all sorts of different species. You know, um, Tom, I was talking to my colleague earlier and I was saying to him that, you know, mm. there's there's things I think every single person, you know, on this planet should take ownership and have, you know, we should mm. have a collective responsibility. What can we do as individuals to help with uh, conservation projects? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are things you can do, you know, on a, on a very small scale. If you've got a garden um, or a bit of green space or a balcony even, or even, you know, just a window, you can provide food for birds. You can provide water for them, which is very important in very dry conditions. You know, birds don't just need water to drink. They also need water to keep their feathers in, in good condition. You know, if they're, if they're not able to do that, then they're not able to fly. If they're not able to fly, then they're not able to find food. So water is a really important resource. So if you can, you can leave out water for birds. Just remember to keep make sure that it's clean. So you change it every day. Um, talking about birds being unable to find food or particularly being able to, um, being able to find um, invertebrate food in the soil, you can leave out food for them, and you can buy mealworms, which will act as a, a you know a really good substitute for the earthworms that these birds would ordinarily be feeding on. And then, as I said right back at the beginning, you know we are so we are an organisation works with scientists, but the scientists our scientists are unable to do their work without the you know the really important data gathered by volunteers all across the country. And you know you don't have to be kind of a bird expert or you know a, you know. To, to 
to help us with that, really. There are all sorts of different ways you can help. And perhaps one of the best ones, one of the easiest ones, is our Garden Birdwatch survey. Um, so if you head to bto.org forward slash gbw, you can find all, uh, all about it. And basically, what that asks volunteers to do is just to record the birds they see in their gardens each week. And then we use that information to, to help understand, you know, um, the way that British bird populations are changing and the impacts that things like global warming are having on them. Having on them. So yeah, our Garden Birdwatch survey, bto.org forward slash gbw, is a really great way you can help make a difference for um, birds and for conservation in general. That's brilliant, Tom. Um, thank you so much for coming on this morning and uh, Not at all. Thank you very much. showing your expertise. Thank you. Have a great day and peace be upon you. You too. Goodbye. Thank Goodbye. you very much. Thank you very much. So that was Mr. Tom Stewart from the British Trust for Orthonology. So it's good what he was saying there. You know, there's that. You don't. We don't. None of us have to be experts. Yeah. But we couldn't. All of us play a part in protecting our birds and our wildlife. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, so you know, sometimes we don't even think about the you know, the creatures or the, the birds around us. Um, you know, whereby we're all just stuck in our own little bubble mm. and making sure that. Well, but it, you know, this is the duty that all of us have to sort of fulfil, uh, making sure that the inhabitants that are around us mm. that we've sort of taken over yes because mind you this was before this was a concrete jungle this was a jungle yes yeah, um, exactly and so we've taken mm. over their place and so it's you know due to make sure that we look after them definitely uh, do you know um, I quite like reading um, science fiction and watching science fiction movies and so many times you've seen you know, um, films that are set in the future and apparently yeah. you know there's been a global class catastrophe something mm. that's happened to the environment and you know you always see these these films with a lack of you know animals wildlife, wildlife and yeah. it's such a horrible mm. you know feeling to have because it's so quiet yeah. there's no birds making noise or there's no yeah and and it has a big impact on the you know on the and for not for all of us you know mm. no hundred so, percent you're you're hang mm. on um, and I think the UK in in some aspects and regards mm. comparing to other countries you know abroad yes has measures in place uh, at least you know some measures in place when we're comparing them to other countries you know for example it's sort of green belt areas or lands uh, this conservation lands you know we um, there's a lot of restrictions as such um, there to protect you know, wildlife and what have you but mm. in other parts of countries you know that legislation doesn't even you know exist mm. um, so yeah I mean we are thankful for those things but you know that's just a sort of I think the first step there's many steps um, that we can take in making sure that we go above and beyond in looking after the wildlife around us. Mm-hmm. We'll take a short break now, and after the break, we'll continue with the segment and see what Islam has to say at the matter. Stay tuned.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. The religion that claims to be from God must show signs of being from God and should bear God's seal, which should attest the fact that it is from Him. Islam is such a religion that God who is hidden is known through this religion and manifests himself to the true followers of this religion. A true religion is supported by the hand of God and through such religion, God manifests himself that he exists. The religions that depend entirely upon stories are only a form of idol worship. Such religions do not possess the spirit of truth. If God is alive as he was and speaks and hears as he did, there is no reason why he should continue to be silent as if he does not exist. If he does not speak in this age, then equally and certainly he does not hear either. In other words, he is now nothing. That religion alone is true, which demonstrates that God hears and speaks in this age also. In a true religion, God attests his existence through his speaking. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, and welcome back to the practice show here at the Voice of Islam. So, before the break, we were speaking with Tom Stewart from the British Trust for Theology, an expert on the topic at hand, which is making sure that we conserve the amounts of water that we use um, and be mindful of the wildlife that is around us, um, because that is a a, a huge part of our uh, ecosystem. So, what does Islam have to say on the matter? Well, we slightly touched upon this earlier on. Islam has a huge role to play in making sure that as Muslims we fulfill our obligations towards um, Allah's creations. Um, and our responsibility has increased considerably uh, in line with our ability to use vast amounts of the Earth's resources. The crunch factor is that now the impacts of our behavior are not just local, they are global. And if we fail to act in a responsible manner, then we cannot simply relocate because there will no longer be anywhere to go. In the Holy Quran, in chapter 31, verse 21, Allah the Almighty states, Have you not seen that Allah has pressed for you onto service whatever is in the heavens and whatever is in the earth, and has completed his favor on you, both externally and internally? In chapter 55, verses 8 to 10, he states, and I quote, And the heaven he has raised high and set up a measure, you may not transgress the measure. So weigh all things in justice and fall not short of the measure this is exactly what this is exactly what you were saying earlier brother I thought about how Islam teaches us about moderation and neither go to you know excessive excesses of any kind you know mm. just staying staying right in yeah. the middle no exactly using choosing the, the middle path as it were that's right um, and Islam you know rather than addressing each aspect of climate change individually the Holy Quran provides a moral framework we can see that facilitates human progress by providing 
a clear set of principles that benefit everyone. And this is because it's the behavior of a person that can influence not just one, but many spheres of human activity. And these include the environment and sustainability. And this is why they you know, are captured in this same framework. Islam lays great stress on the fact that you know, there is a balance in the universe and that this is a feature of God's creation. And these verses, you know, that we, which we've just quoted, make clear that it is God who is perfect and has out of his grace provided ample resources for all time. But through man's misuse and, and this balance, you know, it may, may you know, change, God mm. forbid, and it's man who will suffer the consequences as a result. And the term measure you know, refers to universal balance and that is certainly sustainable unless man exceeds it or seeks to alter it. So, you know, holding back on the same point which mm. we were making earlier. Yes. The need to maintain balance and the requirement to only use what is due to you and not to take what rightfully belongs to others, whether now or in the future, is emphasized in various verses of the Holy Quran. Um, you know, God the Almighty reminds us that whilst you know, on an individual level man may not live to see the consequences of his actions, he will certainly be held to account for them. So that's a very interesting point. Mm. Um, you know, that yes, you know, we may pollute and you know, um and, you know, abuse the planet and, you know, we you know, may or may not, you know, see the consequences of, you know, said pollution mm. or abuse. But, you know, those actions will result in, you know, being harmful or being um, somebody else being at the, um, you know, the, the end of that sort of sphere. Yes. Um, and we will certainly be accountable for any devastation caused um, to the people because of our own actions. Exactly. And you know, this reminds me of this um, a particular, if you can correct me on this, please, about the um, narration, or was it um, about planting a tree, how planting a tree in Islam is is you know a blessing because it will at some point provide sustenance and and also shelter for people. Yeah. So there's 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 lots of blessings in that. So like you said, there's you know if if we don't start taking action and start doing positive yeah. little steps, taking positive little steps, and helping uh, you know the plants, the wildlife, the animals, reduce wastage. You know, we can definitely have an impact ourselves as well. No, you, you're bang on, mm. brother Khaled, because you know, if you plant uh, plant something and you know, an animal or a bird, you know, benefits from that, then that reward is uh, aligned with the person that's you know planted said thing. So it's a, it's a certainly a blessing. And you know, the question is sort of asked as to you know why does man act in a manner that threatens to deprive you know himself mm. and others of a harmonious future. Um, and the answer is of little surprise and then according to the Holy Quran one of the key underlining motives for such actions is personal greed it's always been really greed you know mm. um, and you know to attain as much as one can and not really look at the ramifications or the um, um, the, the negative outcomes of you know underlining mo- motives and greed essentially it takes man away from God and therefore you know that balance that we talk about the balance of nature um, it's not take, uh, considered and therefore you know a great amount of misuse and abuse uh, comes into place and if man cares little for God and his teachings then what you know care would he have for his fellow human beings so it's another very pertinent question um, and therefore this you know results in man staying focused on his personal gain at the expense of all else which is a you know a devastating shame um, mm. and um, you know very um, 
um, sh- selfish thing to do. Exactly. I, I think this this is really important uh, word that you mentioned there, selfishness, because I think self. This is just a sign of selfishness that you know we're trying to. Well, not we. I'm just saying people in general, mm. human humankind, are trying mm. to get the the best for themselves and not t- taking care of the environment. And and that's actually being quite ungrateful to Allah the Mighty for all the beautiful things that He has um, given us and supplied for us. So, dear listeners, we shall be taking a short break for the nine o'clock news. Please, uh, for the eight o'clock news, please join us after the, the break. Uh, where we should be carrying on this topic. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to the breakfast show here at the Voice of Islam. So just before the 8 o'clock news, we were going through some of the Islamic points as to you know where Islam draws a line on how much we can um, you know use and you know benefit from this planet and you know making sure that we don't abuse um, the resources of this planet and you know offer our rights to the various other cre- creations um, of Allah the Almighty. Um, and in line with all of this, we have a very short clip from Faith Matters, a program which is um, run on our TV channel, MTA. Um, so let's have a listen in to what they have to say. Dr. Zaib, um, we have another question from Moon Rashid Sahib. Uh, he doesn't say where he's uh, exactly from. Um, and that's in relationship to the our human relationship with the environment, our interaction with it. And he says that are we called to be stewards of the environment under the Islamic teachings? Um, and he also says that, oh, is the environment just there for our exploitation and use? Well, Allah the Almighty is the creator of all, the creator of the universes, more than one, is, is the master. And that he has created all for is for our benefit. And this is what he mentions in the Holy Quran, that all that has been created has been created, created for man. And obviously something that has been gifted to us, whenever someone gives a gift to a person, and that person is expected obviously to cherish it if he loves that person and to look after it and, and tries to maintain it in the condition that was given to him. This is the gift that has been given to us. So the universe is a gift that Allah the Almighty actually has given to the human race as such. And everything that has been put in it has been put in it with a specific purpose. Everything that God has created has been created with purpose and nothing is without purpose. And that is for the benefit of man who is the greatest of the God's creation. So this planet is, is, uh, is the place of our abode in this life and it is the duty of every man to be able to look after and cherish that planet and to make sure that the balance that God has created in the, in, in the universe is not disturbed in any, in any respect. And that brings you to the question of uh, the environment and how man looks after the environment. And this is something that we know that uh, is now fully researched as how man destroys the environment and what needs to be done to make sure that we are not uh, harming the in- environment as well. In Surah Rahman, Allah says, Ash-shamsu wal-kamaru bihuspan wa najmu wa shajaru yasjudan wa sama'arafa aha wa wada'al mizan. So, you know, God is pointing out to us that the sun and the moon run their courses according to their fixed times. And the stemless plants and the trees submit to him. Even the tiniest of stemless plants that they are submit to God Almighty as, as the creature. The heaven he has raised high above and set up as a measure that you may not transgress. This is the important thing, that you must not transgress the measure. Mm-hmm. 
And this is Allah the Almighty pointing out to us that the universe in fact has been created with good measure and man must not do anything that will upset that measure, upset that balance. So it is our responsibility, each individual person, each society, each community has this responsibility of looking around them and see how one must pay due regard, due attention to looking after the environment as such. And we know that there are many things that we are aware of now uh, which man must do in order to make sure that yes, he uses the uh, universe, the world as has been given to him and takes benefit of all that has been provided by God Almighty, but he does not misuse that to that degree. We talk about uh, deforestations, obviously, in parts of the world where trees have been cut down, you know, on a scale and all the issues that they have caused uh, in those parts and other parts is something that we are well, well aware of. The Holy Prophet Wasallam, <coughs> you know, he discouraged uh, Muslims that when you go to war, when you conquer, you should not cut down trees, fruit-bearing trees. And you know, that was given 1400 years ago. And now man is now realizing the importance of maintaining this balance by not cutting down trees unwantonly. And he gave uh, uh, advice on a Muslim that he, when he plants a tree, he looks after it, it bears fruit, birds eat of it, then that Muslim is rewarded for that good act that he has done. And that actually shows us the actual life cycle of, of different, uh, different uh, creatures who will benefit from that one act of that one person. Then we have wastage, you know, this is an, or water wastage. Water is an essential part of this universe that we have, and it's an essential part of our life. And this is something that we have always to look after. So wastage of water is something that obviously one needs to be well aware of so that it does not create problems in, in that nature. So man as an individual has been given the custodianship of this planet. And it is his responsibility. And the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 1400 years ago has pointed these out to us. And it is our responsibility to make sure that we are abiding by the true nature and teachings of Islam. Unfortunately, we see some events in recent past in, in certain parts of the world where so-called Muslims actually have disregarded all these teachings, not in just terms of the religion of Islam and the practices of Islam, but also with regard to the environment and are damaging the environment in that respect. So that is something that we all need to be wary of that uh, it is a, a, a gift from God, a gift that we must cherish and continue to uh, seek the benefits and rewards of that in environment. Ashhadu an 
Assalamu alaikum and welcome back and uh, that short clip which we just heard was about how we can all really from Islamic points of view understand the responsibilities that is laid upon Muslims um, when it comes to looking after the wildlife and the ecosystem in general. So in essence to conclude the segment um, in whole, you know, Islam you know, it promotes harmony by advising moderation and it accepts that when we you know, when we uh, use the resources for our progress, um, it should be done in a manner which is, uh, you know, number one, sagacious, and then number two, in a sustainable manner. So that's, uh, you know, a satisfactory medium um, is found and um, is it's used. So we as individuals, you know, should act upon um, the chronic injunction that promotes balance and avoids excess. And nations need to be more willing to share knowledge for the sake of the planet, rather than for profit and take collective action in line with their collective responsibilities. And only then do we have hope. And by doing so, we will be able to really win the pleasure of God and honour our trusteeship of the earth for the present and indeed the many generations to come. So that is that section. Hopefully we've wrapped up. Uh, Brother Khalid, it's been an interesting one, to say the least. Um... The second segment, which we'll jump right into, is about, you know, how do we keep children safe online? Um, you know, we know that far-right extremists, you know, are targeting children. Yes. Um, and, you know, shortly we'll have an expert on this topic. Um, and when I mean an expert, you know, I, I probably mean an expert yes. um, <laughs> who um, will be talking about um, uh, the various, you know, cybercrime, um, how to prevent cybercrime and... Um, all the avenues are mm. making sure that you know children are indeed kept safe um, so what are some of the barriers um, that you know mm. are there to protect children and young people online and how do we educate children so the thing is you know this particular topic you know what it's uh, what we'd like to discuss is that there's been research that's been done and it's been found that far right right extremist groups in the UK are using online content such as study guides to steer children and young people towards far-right extremist ideologies. So they're being a little bit more, you know, innovative with their, you know, approaches to, uh, you know, um, sort of bring people into their folds, so to speak. So now far-right extremist groups in the UK, like I said, are using these study guides. And now, for example, a leaflet which promises resources, activities, and tips for parents and children, uh, which actually classifies the BLM movement as an international Marxist organization, and that it is supported by big business and endorsed by celebrities. Its aims are to destroy Western civilization, the white nuclear family, Christianity, and private property. Now, Julia Ebner, a senior fellow of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, who researches far-right activism, informed that other study guides or materials like this one uh, were circulated during lockdowns, often through social media and messaging platforms such as Telegram. Now, the thing is, we said, we were saying, you know, many times that there was, with everything that happens in our lives, there's always a blessing in in some way or some form or shape. And in lockdown, there was lots of positive things that happened. But on the flip side, a lot of negative things, you know, took place as well. Where people, unfortunately, 
you know, we were viewing extremist uh, contents, you know, far right contents, and there was a, a, a sort of resurgence and a rising number of people joining far right groups. Unfortunately, now this lady uh, Julia Ebner, who has gone undercover among extremist groups in the UK, also states that there is a far right ecosystem that wants to target young people and radicalize them to assist extreme ex- uh, extreme acts. They are basically providing materials for school pupils or children to educate themselves on being racist and and uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic uh, sorry, on being racist and in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories," said uh, Emna. The groups target young people by going onto hugely popular multiplayer online games such as Call of Duty or Fortnite and make contact with them from those such places. That's it's crazy. crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, oh, literally. Um, See, this is the thing. You know, we were talking about um, uh, many a time about um, um, the addiction, yeah. playing addiction, yeah. right? And now there's people. I mean, it's very interesting how, you know, this uh, this individual, Julia Ebner, who's yes. um, actually gone on the cover. So very, um, you know, uh, interesting to see that sort of approach. Um, and, you know, sort of, fished out of these extremist groups who are it's, it's unbelievable who are trying to brainwash um, children through these platforms where yes. they know you know um, they can have some f- form of an influence um, and sort of take the opportunity um, which is you know devastating to see mm. now this is this is um, also there's another uh, method that they use this is also coupled with an online messaging platform called discord where they share more far-right extremist views. Discord acts as a hub for extreme right-wing socializing and community building. Um, I think it's far from that, isn't it? Community building. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's probably the last thing they really want to make sure. Exactly. This is um, with an average age of 15 among users on servers associated with far-right activists. Now, Ebna goes on to say that what makes the exploitation of youth culture and pop culture elements so dangerous, especially for children or young people who have been bored or even lonely in the recent lockdowns, you know, she says, I do, I do think that what we are seeing, the radicalization among young people in extremist groups is often stemming from that phenomenon. They have become very savvy in exploiting the youth uh, culture elements and creating very appealing, exclusive online communities where young people have a sense they can be someone special and in this group they can be entertained. Mm. I mean, these these people that are um, yeah, there, these extremist groups, who are trying to brainwash these children, you know, know full well that, you know, when you're at a young age, you're e- e- very easily influenced, whether it's in a, in a negative manner or whether it's in a positive manner. And that's why it's really crucial that you know for the parents or for the elders of these children you know there are you know at least you know s- some regulations in place in you know the amount of the amount of time which is spent on these game consoles or you know, just try and mitigate you know as as much as possible any negative influence from the outside um and so you know that their their traditions and sentiments and indeed overall um understanding um, is kept pure and clean um, and you know is an influence by any of these you know extremist groups who are 
for God knows why, mm. trying to absolutely ruin a generation, um, which will have a devastating effect on uh, you know their mindset, their understanding, and indeed their approach on life. Mm. You know, this is one of the, I think one of the sort of um, heartbreaking points for me is that. In lockdown, at the beginning of the lockdown, you, there was so much unity. Yeah. People were going out to help people that didn't know strangers, in, in, in effect, right? Yeah. And trying to help each other, yeah. make sure our neighbours had some food, had their had the supplies and so on. And yet, during this time, there's people that were trying to call, create discord. Discord you know? scams. Yes. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, the, the amount of people that, um, you know, took out those those loans that the government was issuing, um, you know, slightly digressing from the topic at hand but just going going over the topic yes. of overall distrust yes. and um you know opportunists um, in a negative right. sense that um you know w- where these funds were set aside for those people those companies that you know genuinely needed them um you know there were various scammers and you know false companies which were erected um just to make sure that they can sort of benefit from this relief mind you they are being caught now but it just shows the um, the disbalance that we see within our society, um, or an element of disbalance, um, which you know needs to be uprooted and um, you know eradicated. Mm. But back to the topic at hand, children are you know we were talking about this yes. very impressionable at a young age. You know they um, get influenced very quickly, um, so they're, they're therefore exposing them. So any kind of information will have an effect on their views, especially information that is presented to them through uh, relatable materials such as jokes and memes, which is what is shared through the Discord and gaming platforms. Um, and the recent rents, arrests and court appearances in the UK show that police have become more active in charging young people who have allegedly downloaded extremist material. In the last two years, fewer than 400 people aged 20 or younger were adopted into channel uh, prevents far-right deradicalization program. More than 6 in 10 teenagers, 61%, say they have played Fortnite, and Discord has, or rather had, more than 20 million users in 2021. So, you know, it's, yes, there are benefits, and yet, you know, it's a good thing having these, um, you know, gaming platforms and these social um, you know platforms, but mm. we always have to make sure and remember that there are very um, deranged and even-minded in- individuals out there and groups who are there to capitalize on you know their own sort of goals that they may have in trying to um, you know, leave an impression or influence you know children in trying to push their own agenda. Something which I think is known, but the solutions and the elements of trying to tackle uh, this problem is sort of an ongoing um, battle which you know will be there mm. for many many years to come but uh, we'll take a break now and after the break we will um, speak with our guest caller and indeed uh, see what Islam has to say on the topic Allah, Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. 
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to the Voice of Islam uh, breakfast show. Um, and I'm pleased to say that we have been joined by our guest caller for this segment. A very warm welcome and assalamu alaikum to uh, Dr. Afsal Ashraf Saab. Thanks so much for being with us this morning, Dr. Ashraf Saab. Um, Dr. Afsal Ashraf has a broad experience of international relations and security issues, both as a practitioner and as an academic. And this includes service as a senior officer in the UK Armed Forces in operations ranging from famine relief in Africa to, uh, to stabilization operations in the South Atlantic, and deterrence support in the Cold War, and strategic aspects of conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan and various other accolades. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Ashraf. If I could start off by asking you, what are your views about any sort of extremist group on both political um, spectrums, either on the left or the right? Well, um, my views are varied. I think uh, we find that um, those of us who study this phenomena, that um, extremism exists, uh, has existed in um, society uh, throughout history, and it exists, as you've pointed out, in both right-wing and left-wing politics. It uh, exists on, in all religions, uh, and extremism uh, has very many common traits where essentially they create an in-group and an out-group. Uh, the in-group is the, the people that they identify with, that particular uh, form of religion, that particular sect, that particular nationality, that particular socio-economic group, and the out-group are the people they perceive to be the others that threaten that group. And they have love for the in-group and hate for the out-group. And it's that distinction between love and hate that is at the core of the motivations and the actions and the behaviors and the outlook of these people. Now, these words love and hate will be familiar to you, of course, in a different context. Um, and they are not words that I have imposed on the situation um, that dis differentiating into in-groups and out-groups and the consequential love and hate that follows um, are... Uh, emotions and descriptions that many scholars have used throughout the ages. They're not new. And Dr. Ashraf, um, what do you think about the censorship of these groups? Do you think that it sort of, if does it counteract the element of freedom of speech or um, 
where would your sort of um, debate be around this sort of this this question? Well, I think that's a very complex question, and the problem here is that <clears throat> you do uh, risk um, infringing free speech. Um, at the same time, you risk um, in enabling and empowering the narrative of these groups. Um, so there are, um, you know, those two issues: the infringement of free speech, the very fact that you impose censorship actually empowers these groups. Um, and and the, the 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 other point really is that um, um, when you uh, uh, censor these groups, you can't, in practical terms, impose that censorship to a degree that uh, effectively frustrates uh, their agenda, especially nowadays with uh, social media, with encrypted um, services. These groups, particularly the, the more nefarious, more threatening elements within those groups, those group uh, elements which have an agenda which uh, plans uh, to use violence uh, to threaten uh, and subvert the government and uh, other groups. Um, those groups are already, if you like, underground, and you only um, drive more and more people underground that may want to explore that ideology and make them much more vulnerable. So there are three um, major drivers against censorship, but on the other side of the, the story, something must be done to control the worst effects of these of this speech. <coughs> Excuse me. I believe that mo there are some existing uh, legal frameworks, um, uh, you know, glorification of violence and, and, and uh, of terrorism, um, uh, hate speech exists in, in many forms, um, uh, certainly in the form of uh, hate speech regulation, in the form of uh, racism uh, exists. Um, I know that um, many people feel that Islamophobia is not well represented, um, and uh, there may well be some <coughs> excuse me, areas where uh, things can be done to, to tighten that up, but we have to be careful that they're done in the right way. Um, you know, uh, criticism of Islam uh, has to be uh, uh, freely uh, made by people who wish to do so. Um, uh, and what we do need to do is to encourage that criticism to be made in, 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 the, in the proper fashion, in a constructive manner. Uh, so there, there are um, minor things that um, I believe uh, are more subtle rather things that could be done to um, restrict the ability for people who want to uh, create mass mobilization. Um, but uh, I think it's also worth uh, putting this issue of hate speech or uh, extremist narrative into perspective. Those are not the only things that uh, radicalize people. They're not the only means by which people uh, are motivated to join these extremist groups. Uh, it, very often, it is simply um, uh, situations, uh, socioeconomic situations, uh, that cause people to um, uh, jump on the bandwagon of extremism. And that certainly was the case 
in the 1920s and 1930s in Germany, uh, one of the most advanced culturally and uh, philosophically and scientifically nations in the world, which was a democratic nation, um, but because of the extreme uh, economic uh, and and political stresses in that country, the development of extremism. And we see that happening in Europe now. Um, and sadly, with the um, issue that I'm sure you've discussed um, in the last few weeks and months that everybody's discussing on the news, uh, with the economic downturn, with the uh, cost of living going up, the hardships that people are facing, um, these areas are likely to affect um, people in the UK and in many other parts of the world in places like uh, the United States of America. We've got all of these issues um, uh, that I've talked about, um, but then you've got a political crisis as well that, uh, where, where people do not trust the state. A large, significant numbers of people do not trust the state. We've got politicians like Mr. Trump who are um, uh, feeding on that uh, fear and distrust of the state. And, and there are uh, conceivable and realistic threats to the very nature of Western liberal democracy if um, these uh, conditions continue and Western liberal democracies can't provide a suitably narrative uh, and so um, has limits. I think there are far more powerful ways of restricting the development of extremism. <clears throat> Dr. Ashraf, the government has promised to draw up legislation to reduce online harms. Um, what is your take on this and what would you like to see included in, in this and in particular in relation to you know young uh, vulnerable sort of children and young people? Um, I don't have any particular comments or, or recommendations as far as legislation is concerned. Um, I, I, I think we need to um, uh, see the uh, the impact, the potential benefit, and indeed the potential harm of this regulation in the context of the general points that I've already made, uh, which is simply that we have to um, think very carefully about whether legislation can um, protect our society or whether we need um, more powerful uh, 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 protections which come outside the uh, framework of legislation. Um, the very idea of extremism is about a political imbalance, a perceived, uh, sometimes exaggerated political imbalance between those who are in the extremist in-group and those perceived to be on the outside of that extremist uh, in group, and is uh, in enforcement either restricts that power uh, uh, imbalance or exaggerates that power imbalance in a particular direction. In this case, it will be alleged to exaggerate the power imbalance in the direction of the liberals in society by the right wing extremists. So, what we really do need to changing um, the back conflict. It should not be seen um, as a, an issue of power, but an issue 
of empathy and and love uh, between people. So really what we sh- uh, need to do is to build societies that are uh, much more cohesive and the, the, the glue that uh, makes them cohesive, that um, strengthens the structure of society, is what uh, philosophers, going back to as far as Aristotle, uh, have said, and other prophets uh, and religions have said always, is the power of love that exists between people. And, and without that uh, strengthening, um, the legislation can be seen to um, uh, be a device by which um, the, 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 the power imbalance between the in-group and output is actually um, increased and how it can isolate further. And you can see this um, if you, um, I know what, what I'm saying may sound a little bit theoretical, but you can see how that power imbalance uh, was articulated by Mr. Trump in the United States of America. He talked about the deep state uh, in America. Mm. Uh, the, 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 that included the legislatures. Um, he talked about fake news, which meant that there was a narrative uh, against them uh, by the liberals, as he alleged. And so we have to be very careful about legislation per se. Um, the other point about legislation is that um, it is a very convenient way uh, of governments in some ways. uh, I'm not suggesting they're not sincere in this, but what it does do is absolve governments of the role of uh, creating a stronger society, stronger economies, etc., in the way that I've described already, and puts a lot of pressure on the publishers of this uh, free, this hate speech, and the, the term publisher is often used for the uh, platforms, the social media platforms, everything from Facebook, YouTube, and so on. Now, the big problem here is the analogy of publishers. It really breaks down when you consider that, of course, in the old days when we looked at, um, you know, Penguin or Palgrave and other publishers of books. They had maybe hundreds, thousands of uh, manuscripts that they could edit, and they did edit in great detail. But in the social media age, these platforms um, are uploading tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of uh, items of news, messages, and and articles, and uh, video, and audio material. And unless you use them, people are beginning to use AI or uh, artificial intelligence, it is difficult to identify. And even with artificial intelligence, it is difficult to identify and stop the um, publishing uh, and, 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 and spread of hate material. So in some ways, we're diverting attention from where it really ought to be and going to uh, a solution uh, through legislation which has proved to uh, be at best partially effective. And um, just before we let you go, Dr. Ashraf, um, final question to you is how do we educate children um, 
how do we educate children age appropriately about online targeting and where is the right balance in in, in educating children about the risks but not frightening them well that's a very uh, a deep question but i think that um at, at one level nothing has changed um uh, since the time that my parents were desperately trying to educate and protect me and my siblings um we we had the fear not of social media or extremism we had the fear of the 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 the, the, the um nasty Uh, men or women, and usually it was nasty men, of course, uh, that might um, abduct a child or might lead a child into doing some bad stuff. And you, my parents never had to, and I think parents throughout the ages, um, really ever list um, in any detail uh, what those bad things may be, except that they use the, um, the, the trust and love that exists between a parent and a child in a positive direction, and tell them simple things like don't talk to strangers um, that you don't know uh, and don't go anywhere with strangers that you don't know um, and, uh, and so on. And those are sort of ways of um, uh, being able to um, allow very basic discrimination to take place. And as children uh, grow older, it is very good to um, try to answer their questions. Now, when with my children, uh, when they ask me questions on issues of politics, of religion and other things, uh, I, very, I, I avoid giving them an opinion uh, based on my own views. I try to I, uh, outline in very simple terms the arguments that extremists may use and the counter arguments uh, that um, non-extremists may use. And I try to encourage in them the ability to make judgments based on reason, based on sound uh, and common ethical values so that um, they can understand and they can be empowered. They need able to develop the uh, ability to discriminate between what is right and wrong and what is good and bad. And these things are human level Uh, instinctive. Um, these things are made clear uh, at, at the sort of almost genetic level through creation. And so it is something that we need to tap into that innate power within all of us to be able to understand what is good and what is bad and, and be able to discriminate. And I think that if you develop those capabilities in children at a strong age, rather than frightening them, you actually empower them. You make them feel strong that they can handle um, the bad ideas. And the other thing is, to, um, when you do this, it is important to let them know that um, bad people, um, uh, extremists as we might call them, very often um, rely on real injustices in society. Um, and they mobilize their support around what are often very real injustices. It could be discrimination, it could be a poverty, it, it could be abuses of power. And the important thing to um, uh, uh, make children understand is that very often we must recognize the truth in some of these experiences. To... Mm. 
Hallo? Okay, Dr. Ashraf, it's been an absolute pleasure and it's been really, really informative talking to you this morning. Thank you so much for your time and peace be upon you. Waalaikumsalam. Waalaikumsalam, thank you. That was fantastic um, to speak with Dr. Ashraf. Apologies for the, uh, I think the limes may have... Uh, not been the best, but nonetheless, you know, very informative uh, discussion with the, the doctor, um, who has a you know a vast experience in um, international relations and security issues, both as a practitioner and as a, 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 a academic. And um, you know, it's very always very interesting to see mm. the the take that you know our experts um, um, have, and um, you know the the vast knowledge that they bring um, when we when they are invited to speak. Um, at the Voice of Islam. But we'll take a break and after the break we'll continue with the segment and delve into what the Islamic perspective is um, in looking after children. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi My humble self, so Hazrat Khatim al-Anbiya, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in a dream in 1864 or 1865 in my early youth, when I was still pursuing my studies. In my dream I had in my hand a religious book, which I felt was of my own authorship, Upon seeing the book, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, inquired from me in Arabic, How have you named this book? I submitted, I have named it Qutbi. The interpretation of this name has now come to my mind on the publication of this well-publicized book, Brahina Ahmadiyya, that it is a book which in its reasoning and arguments is firm and unshakable like the polar star. Presenting the firmness of the contents of this book, I have issued a challenge and announced the award of a prize of 10,000 rupees for anyone who might be able to refute it. In short, the Holy Prophet ﷺ took that book from me. The moment the blessed hands of the Holy Prophet ﷺ touched it, it became an attractive and lovely fruit resembling a guava but as large as a watermelon. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ started cutting it into pieces to distribute it, it yielded so much honey that his blessed hand and forearm began to drip with it. Then a dead body that was lying outside the door came to life as a miracle of the Holy Prophet ﷺ and came and stood behind me. My humble self was standing before the Holy Prophet ﷺ as a supplicant stands before a ruler. The Holy Prophet ﷺ was occupying his chair in great glory and majesty and with display of authority as if he was a great champion. To summarize, the Holy Prophet ﷺ handed over to me a piece of the fruit so that I might give it to the newly revived person and he bestowed upon me all the remaining pieces. I gave that one piece to the revived person, which he ate immediately. When he finished eating it, 
I noticed that the blessed cheer of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had risen much higher, and the countenance of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, began to shine forth like the rays of the sun, which was an indication of the revival and progress of Islam. While watching this display of light, I woke up. Allah be praised for all this. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi Our paradise lies in our God. Our highest delight is in our God. For we have seen Him and have found every beauty in Him. This wealth is worth procuring, though one might have to lay down one's life to procure it. This ruby is worth purchasing, though one may have to lose oneself to acquire it. O ye who are bereft, run to this fountain, and it will satisfy you. It is a fountain of life that will save you. What shall I do, and how shall I impress the hearts with this good news? And by beating what drum shall I make the announcement that this is our God? so that people might hear. What remedy shall I apply to the ears of the people so that they should listen? You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And welcome back to the breakfast show here at the Voice of Islam. And before the break, we were speaking with uh, Dr. Afsal Ashraf, um, who uh, was telling us and informing us of you know, the various ways in which we can really go about and counteract um, these extremist groups um, that are very much so prevalent on the social media platforms, the gaming you know, platforms and many other um, online sort of avenues. Um, but it's time now that we you know, take a snippet um, of what Islam has to say on, on, the, on the topic of attributing and distributing rights um, towards children. Um, and indeed, you know, it, it sort of works both ways, really. Islam has defined the rights of parents over children and, and vice versa. And on the one hand, it does emphasize the service and respectful behavior to parents. And on the, on the other hand, it commands parents to treat children, you know, with due understanding and regard. And to handle them in such a way as, um, you know, engenders in them feelings of dignity and self-respect and to attain and, and to attend to their education and training in particular, so that when they do grow up, they may observe their duties to Allah and to his servants and become pioneers of national progress. And therefore we must remember that children are a sacred trust with us from Allah, and raising children is a very serious, difficult and humbling undertaking. And Islam provides complete guidance for the upbringing of children in the Holy Quran and the Hadith, which are the sayings of the Holy Prophet, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And so it's not only champions uh, human undertaking um, and human rights and the rights of women, but it fervently teaches protection and love for children. 
the Holy Quran states, and I quote, and slay not your children for fear of poverty. It is we who provide for you and them. That's chapter 60, verse 152. In the Holy Quran, the injunction, slay not your children, it really hints at the truth that if you ignore inculcation of good moral qualities amongst your children and neglect their educational equipment, you will be virtually committing their murder. And in this verse, Allah protects the child's right to life and enjoins the parents to place their trust in Allah. And Islam teaches that children are a blessing and their proper rearing is a means of gaining Allah's pleasure. So, you know, nowadays, Brother Khalid, it's, I think, a, a huge part um, that parents play in making sure that their children are, you know, kept on that straight and narrow path where there's so many distractions, so many um, opportunities for, you know, deranged, even-minded individuals to, you know, maybe derail or, in fact, derail children from the teachings which their children, which their parents have instilled within them. Um and the outside influence, you know, um, it's very much so appealing to children of a it's young nature. Definitely, hundred percent. And the thing is, you know, um, we 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 are we are fortunate to be living uh, in the UK, where we, you know, people's different varying views and 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 rights are respected. But when it starts going to extremes, that's when this becomes dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes there can be things that being taught to children. Uh, in school are, are, are not to their benefit and you know, people say oh it's the right of freedom and they're just being they're yeah. being liberal yeah but it can be very dangerous as well please yeah no you're right you're right you're bang on um, you know whenever we have extremist views um, you know like we were speaking with the doctor earlier on you know whether it's on the left or the, the political left or the you know, extreme right you know um, those views will have a effect on um, yeah, the child's thinking, and you know, will later, you know, nurture them in a you know specific manner, a manner which you know may be against what you know. Let's take the 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 um, the point of, of Islam, because this being the voice of Islam, it's very much a person that we you know bring it back to Islam. You know, so those those points and those opinions, you know, will um, or there's a very much so a. Um, an argument that they will be against the very fundamental teachings of Islam and what we find from the sayings of the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him is that he emphasized that Allah's reward is great for parents who look after the moral and spiritual needs of their children and it's reported that the Holy Prophet said and I quote respect your children and cultivate in them the best of manners and so you know that's what we were speaking about um you know, it's making sure that, you know, the onus really is on, I think, the parents, um, um, especially in this current, the current age that we live in where, you know, distractions are on every corner, every street, um, you know, um, and it's, you know, a, a, a huge responsibility and an endeavour which you know, will have to be undertaken. Um, so, yeah. But brother, mm. brother Khalid, what's the the community, the the Ahmadi Muslim community's initiative to raise awareness to parents and children, um, and what programs do they hold? So on the thirteenth um, of December in twenty thirteen, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mizra Masrur Ahmad, may Allah be his upper, delivered a sermon in which he explained how the environment affects the minds of children's 
uh, children and plays a role in building their character. Now, he said that in the um, nature of man, Fitrat, Allah the Exalted has a, placed a tendency to copy others in our surroundings, which manifests from childhood as it is part of the nature of man. Hence, the tendency to copy others is in the nature of a child. So this tendency is certainly for our benefit, but the wrong use sometimes leads to man's destruction or takes him towards destruction. It is a consequence of this tendency to copy and be influenced by his environment that man learns a language from one's parents, learns other deeds and good things which make a child a well-mannered person. If the parents are virtuous, uh, observe the Salats, which are the prayers, read and recite the Holy Quran, live with each other in an atmosphere of love and affection and above falsehood, then the children under their influence will adopt virtues. On the contrary, if the child sees lying, fighting and disputes and making fun of others in the home, not giving due regard to the dignity of the tomato of the community or other such bad actions, then because of that tendency to copy or because of the impact of the environment, the children learns these evils. So when he, go, he or she goes out, he tries to learn whatever he sees in his surroundings and among his children. That is, uh, This is why His Holiness says that I repeatedly draw attention to the parents that they should keep an eye uh, on the outside environment of the children. And even within their home, they should keep an eye on the programs that they watch on television or their internet usage. So this was a quote uh, from part of the speech delivered by His Holiness on the 13th of December 2013. And it just goes back a bit to what Dr. Ashraf said, our guest, who said that, you know, children should be taught with love and nature and cared for. It's a responsibility of parents and adults and even for other children. You know, if we see a child doing something wrong, we should not be afraid to tell them, look, yeah. you know, this is not this the right way. This is not the right way, exactly. Yeah. I think, and nowadays, um, I don't know why, but the their overall understanding is that you know children can't um, you know be you know instructed in a certain yes. manner. They, they they have to you know be very open minded and this that and the other. And you know the element of you know or the traditional element of um, you know instructing a child is very much so looked down upon. But sadly, we have come to the end of today's program. Uh, a huge thanks to my co-host, um, Brother Khalid. Uh, thanks so much. And to our esteemed listeners for being with us all the way from 7 o'clock to now approaching 9 o'clock. A huge thanks to our producer, Sehra Ahmed, the researchers, Faisal Mansour, Mahan Rahman, and indeed our brother in the tech department. The topics for tomorrow will be about the realm of dreams. Is there any meaning? Exploring the emergence of... Surality um, in nature, biological life, and medicinal drugs, and the homeless in the heat. But from all of us here at the breakfast show, Jazakallah and Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.